Welcome to today's episode of Expecting Rainbow, a podcast about navigating through life after pregnancy and infant loss. I'm your host, Justine, and today I'll be talking about my son, Stephen, how we are celebrating his upcoming heavenly birthday, and ways that I remember and honor him. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode one of the Expecting Rainbow podcast. It's October. And this month is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. We cannot talk about rainbow babies without talking about the siblings that came before them. And this month, all the episodes will be about pregnancy and infant loss. Everyone loves to talk about what's new and what's hopeful. And that's kind of what expecting a baby should be all about. But things don't always happen the way we feel they should or the way we expect. And that brings me to Stephen. Stephen is my firstborn son. His second birthday is coming up this weekend on Saturday. And I thought sharing his story would be the perfect way to start off this podcast. I've put in a lot of thought as to what it means to share his story. And it's been hard. It's hard to do that when you're talking about a life that only existed for 22 weeks. And when I was thinking about what to share, I didn't want to make it about me or my feelings, my experiences with the doctors, and all the things I wish I had done differently. I didn't want this episode to be about any of those things. Of course, a lot of Stevens and my story overlap. He was in my belly his whole life, after all but I'm going to do my best to focus on just Steven and my experience with him. So here it goes. I found out I was pregnant the first week of June in 2018. At that time, we were staying at my mother-in-law's house, and I took a pregnancy test one day, and it showed up positive. I quietly pulled Will aside to tell him. I remember we were in a dark hallway And we hugged, we kissed, and we were just so happy. And we decided not to tell anyone right away and to just savor our first family moment together. We had planned to tell our parents first, but I ended up telling two of my close friends while on a trip in Chicago because I didn't want to miss the opportunity to tell my friends in person. And later we broke the news to my mother-in-law. We gave her a card at the dinner table. And when we visited my parents in North Carolina, we surprised them with a cake, I think. No, it was a pie. It was a lemon meringue pie. And we put candles on it that said, baby, with an exclamation point. I don't think I had morning sickness as bad as other people's pregnancies, but there definitely was a period of time when I couldn't stand the sight of anything gravy-like. I remember this one night, my father-in-law made a really delicious meat and veggie dinner, but the moment I smelled the meaty and creamy sauce, I had to get out of there. I could not be at the table. And I don't recall having any specific cravings either. 
but Will says that I did. He said I ate a lot of baby tomatoes, and I do remember eating a lot of raw fruits and vegetables. I'm pretty sure one month I single-handedly ate three whole watermelons by myself, and I had bought them for everyone in the house, but I ended up eating all of them by myself. So all in all, I think I had a pretty easygoing pregnancy, especially when it came to physical symptoms, and our first few ultrasounds seemed to go pretty normally, and our baby had looked healthy. At our 18-week ultrasound, we were told that the images showed the baby had an echogenic bowel. The doctor said that this could mean something, or it could mean nothing, so not very helpful. They scheduled us to have an ultrasound with a maternal fetal medicine specialist a couple weeks later, but at that appointment, he said that two weeks was not enough time to have another ultrasound, so we didn't end up getting one, and I'll always wonder if anything would have changed if we had had that ultrasound. But I just didn't know that was something I should have or could have advocated for. Another two weeks went by and we headed back to get another ultrasound. And that is when we got the news that our little baby's heart was no longer beating. It was a very shocking moment. And it was a very awkward moment too. The doctor kept handing me tissues, but I wasn't crying When she told us that she had bad news, the last thing I thought she would say was that my baby had died, and I just had no idea how to react. So I asked, what are the next steps? And she said we could schedule an induction when we were ready. The news didn't fully hit me until we got home. Will actually had a midterm that day, and he reluctantly went to go take it while I stayed home. And when I was at home, I just kept wondering how this could have happened. What did I do wrong? And I also felt really dumb, like as if life was playing a really mean prank on me and I fell for it. At 22 weeks, I was still telling people about my pregnancy and I had just told a bunch of people that past weekend And it was just the day before that I was still reading books to my belly. I called my mom first to tell her the news. And I can still hear her saying, oh, no, no, no. My mom loves to give advice. And like me, she is sort of a fixer. And I could tell that she wanted to tell me what to do to fix this but there was nothing that was going to bring the baby back to life. I texted my closest friends, and then I laid in bed. I went back and forth between wondering if the doctors could be wrong, should I get a second opinion, and to feeling like my body had failed my baby. When Will got home, we called the hospital, and they said that we could go in that night for an induction. It's really weird to think back on all the normal details on a very sad and abnormal day. Like, Will and I went to Lidl for the first time. We had been wanting to check it out, and we bought some snacks, which I packed in my hospital bag. 
And then afterwards, we got a milkshake and hush puppies at cookout. That was also my first time ever eating there. And then we headed to the hospital to deliver our baby. You might be wondering why I keep referring to Stephen as the baby. And that's because we didn't name him until we got to the hospital lobby. We were waiting for the nurse to bring us to our room. And someone had suggested, you know, this is a good time to think of a name if you don't have one already. And naming our child was a weird experience. Of course, we had brainstormed different names, but we thought we had a lot more time to choose one. And it turned out we didn't have much time at all. And this was one of the very few choices we would be able to make for our child and to parent him. We ended up choosing the name Stephen, and he is named after one of Will's childhood friends who had also passed away. My parents and one of my brothers visited me at the hospital, but only my mom was able to stay as we waited for my induction. And right before I was induced, the doctors did one last ultrasound. I asked her to show me his heart in hopes they would see that they were wrong. But she showed me, and then it was time to have a baby. About eight hours after we arrived at the hospital, Stephen was born on October 3rd, 2018 at 2.25 a.m. He weighed 5.7 ounces and was eight and a half inches long, and his birthday falls on the same day as his grandmother, Will's mom. At first, I was afraid to look at him or to hold him because I didn't know what to expect. And I often regret that hour or so that I missed out on holding him. But I'm really grateful for the time that we did get to spend with him. We held him and loved on him as much as we could for the 14 hours we had with him. And I'm also really thankful that my own mom was there to see him and hold him. She was the only family member outside of me and Will who got to do that. The first few hours that we had with Stephen, he was completely naked, and we held his tiny body in a white baby blanket. At 22 weeks, he was very small, and he didn't have any fat on his body, but I could see that he had very long legs and I saw the shapes of his muscles, and I dreamed that he would have grown up to be an athlete like his uncles, my brothers. Later, a nurse took him to take some photos, and that made me very anxious because I didn't want to be apart from him. But when they brought him back to our room, I saw that she had swaddled Stephen. He was wearing a new outfit, Inside a new blanket, it was gray with white polka dots, and he had a little tiny knitted hat on him. And that was something I didn't know I needed to see. 
as very new parents, we had not yet prepared for what we might need to bring to the hospital for his birth. And it meant the world to have someone help us dress him up. I'm actually really thankful for our whole hospital team there who made us several castings of Stephen's hands and feet, who took his newborn photos, and for all the little mementos we have from that day, like his first outfit, his little hat, his blankets, and his memory box. We had to say goodbye to dear Stephen the same day we said hello. And seeing the nurses roll my baby out of the room and leaving the hospital empty-handed was really hard. But Stephen's story does not end there. And it didn't end when we picked up his ashes at the funeral home. And despite the fact that Stephen is not here with us, his story continues because knowing him and being his mom is constantly a part of me. This Saturday will be Stephen's second birthday. Some people call it the heavenly birthday. Birthdays are usually a day to celebrate life, so I think some people think it's weird when I acknowledge this day as simply his birthday. There's not really much to celebrate because he's not physically here, but We are still finding different ways to honor him and, if you will, parent him in the unconventional way that only a lost parent can do. I've seen other lost families throw themed birthday parties for their babies, host butterfly or balloon releases, and do fundraisers and a lot of neat ideas. Will and I have found our own ways to make Stephen's birthday special. Last year, we went out for a really nice dinner and we reminisced a little bit about our pregnancy with Stephen and celebrated ourselves as his parents for making it this far and for knowing him and loving him without being able to hold him or experience any of his milestones. I think we plan to do something similar this year. It's going to be the first time experiencing Stephen's birthday with his little brother, Everett. So I'm not sure how I'm going to feel on that day, but I have been mentally preparing myself for it for months. Whatever we do, I view it all as an opportunity to celebrate our family, our whole family. Even though Everett is not yet a year old, I want him to know his brother and to know how much Stephen means to us, and that it's okay to acknowledge him and to love him. We have some books we got, The Perfectly Imperfect Family by Amy Lands and My Sibling Still by Megan Lackridge. So I think we've read them to him before, but we will probably be reading those on Stephen's birthday. Another way we are celebrating Stephen's birthday is we plan to walk two miles along one of our favorite local trails. My friend Emily, who is a fellow lost mom, is co-organizing a virtual walk of remembrance in memory of her daughter Margaret 
and raising money for Count the Kicks. Count the Kicks is an organization dedicated to preventing stillbirth and infant death through awareness and education. And I would love for you to virtually walk with us in honor of Stephen and other babies who are not here with us. Maybe you have someone in mind from your family or your friend circle too. I will leave the links in the show notes so that you can sign up for the walk. Outside of birthdays, there are a lot of ways to honor our children who have passed away. And it's been surprising to see how unexpected things make me feel closer to Stephen. So first and foremost, I think being able to openly acknowledge and talk about him helps a lot. I know it's not always comfortable for people, but I've been in situations where I was allowed to be really open and just talking about my pregnancy and being able to share like a real mom because I am a real mom. And there's no worse way to make someone feel like they are not a real mom than by not letting them talk about their child. I know not every lost mom will feel this way, but I loved when people asked me about what it was like to be pregnant. I had a friend who was pregnant, and she texted me one day asking if it was okay to ask me questions about my pregnancy. And it made me really happy, and it made me feel really normal. I'm always going to be sad about Stephen not being here, but in that one moment, it was like I could relive my whole experience and not just the part that was sad. I could talk to someone who valued my experience as a mom that wasn't solely focused on my child dying. And it was so, I can't really think of a word, relieving, valuable, comforting. It was a little bit of all of those things. After having Everett, whom I'll be sharing more about next month, another way I was able to honor Stephen was by donating breast milk to NICU babies. I really did not expect my first milk donation to be so emotional, but when I saw all that milk in the cooler, I thought about how amazing it was that I was able to nurse a newborn and still have this milk to provide for another baby. I was reminded of the first few weeks after delivering Stephen, just my boobs, they were so engorged. And the doctors told me not to pump, not to express the milk. And they didn't really tell me what to do except to not do anything. And I remember being so mentally scarred from that, just how my body was making food for a baby that was, wasn't there. And I still feel sad when I donate milk that I wasn't able to nurse Stephen or mother him in the way I had expected to. But knowing that I can help and root for other babies makes me feel like I'm still trying my best. I can't do these things for Stephen, but I would if I could. So why wouldn't I try to help other moms and their babies too? The past two years have felt really long. Yet sometimes I also feel myself thinking, I can't believe it's already been two years since I last held him. And it's weird to think that one day the number's going to change 
to five years, 10 years, 20 years. And I can't wrap my head around that. Even though my grief has evolved in the past two years, there are still some weeks when I have to take it just one day at a time. And there are some days when I have to take it an hour at a time. It can be really hard to find any type of hope or comfort when all you want is your child to be in your arms. There's never going to be a perfect way to remember them because nothing can compare to them actually being here. I think this sometimes makes parents feel guilty, like we aren't doing enough to keep the names and memories of our children alive. But I know that we're all just doing our best. And we will keep doing our best because we love our children. I believe that hope and grief can exist together. And I have found a lot of comfort in all these little ways that have made me feel closer to Stephen, even as I'm grieving over him. And sometimes on those particularly hard days, that little bit of hope and comfort is what helps lighten my heavy heart and gets me through the day. I would love to hear how others are honoring the birthdays of their little ones too. Whether you are a parent, a grandparent, aunt, uncle, or even family friend, let us know in the comments on the website or email expectingrainbowpodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear your story, and thank you for listening to mine. I'll see you later.